This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the 87th episode of Total Saints Podcast. We are the dedicated weekly podcast going to the heart of all things Saints FC. On this week's podcast, we'll be reflecting on Saints' most recent Premier League fixture, the largely dreadful 1-4 loss versus Chelsea, and we'll preview the Wolverhampton Wanderers game in a couple of weeks' time after the international break. Alongside that, Will Dorr, Saints Archive, and myself caught up with Antti Niemi earlier this week for Total Recall. We chatted Saints memories, Gordon Strachan, card of 2003, injury time equaliser assists, that famous in inverted commas talk sport call and much more that'll be along later in the pod also in this episode we're going to have a tsp hashtag completely deluded t-shirt giveaway because i get the feeling that we're going to need to bring a little bit of fun to this podcast but uh, to help me get through all of that is uh, adam and lucy so uh, evening to you both chaps we're recording a couple of hours after the chelsea game so we're trying to sound overly excited adam no i'm not going to bother with that one uh, no, I'm not overly excited at all. No. It was oh, uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't even attempt that right now. I literally just got through the front door after <laughs> after watching, and then three hours of work afterwards. I'm, there's no excitement. I dread to think what the verdict says. But anyway, Lucy, you're all right. Apart from the football, obviously. Well, yeah, I mean, apart from the football, which has put a bit of a damper on the weekend. Although my husband is a Newcastle fan, so oh, we did get to watch uh, their win against Manchester United. So that's that's cheered me up a little bit. Yeah, that's Although enough, then yeah. I have to confront the reality that should we get into a relegation scrap, they're probably our rivals, so I probably mm. shouldn't enjoy it too much. Well, that's true. Although one thing I did see was uh, Ali, who we mentioned the other uh, week on the pod, is getting engaged. I was reading a tweet of hers while I was waiting for uh, our call to start, and it said, the good thing about losing on a Sunday afternoon is it only ruins your Sunday afternoon, not if you lose on a Saturday afternoon where you sort of get you know, a day and a half ruined. So that's 
a very fair summation, I think. So uh, there we go. And uh, Lucy, I know you're on uh, Love Sport Radio Southampton Fan Show on Thursday evening, uh, 10 o'clock every Thursday with Charlie Hawkins on Love Sport Radio, if anyone wants to listen. Uh, a bit of live radio. Do you enjoy that? Yes, I did. Although he was requiring me to be more positive than I would naturally be and so I think he was a bit taken aback when I didn't think that we could get a result away at Man City <laughs> yeah well yeah maybe we can now but <laughs> I don't know but uh, there we go so um, Steve, Steve's not with us for this episode as he's uh, at the Tottenham Stadium for the NFL and uh, I have to be honest I can't really do any sort of uh, NFL chat in the intro because I don't really know much about American football other than the fact that I know it takes hours to play the game and uh, I think every so often a, a bloke dressed as a barcode throws one of his mum's cleaning cloths on the pitch in an aggressive manner to try and draw everyone's attention I think that's American football I may be wrong but uh, uh, obviously uh, the other thing that I managed to find out because I was doing a quick bit of research to try and make it sound like I knew about it was that uh, if you score a touchdown and then you kick the ball through the post afterwards you score seven which I thought was pretty apt that uh, you could uh, be going to the NFL at Spurs today and it's been quite a week for scoring seven at Spurs Stadium hasn't it so that's good so it all, <laughs> it all, it all links rather nicely I think <laughs> I've done a good job there exactly exactly so uh, look I must just add it is Steve's birthday today um, so many happy uh, returns to him as well I'm sure he's absolutely delighted after the Saints result and uh, we look forward to his TSP return soon right let's get on with that I think uh, it's, it's going to feel like a counselling session potentially this episode but let's see how we get on uh, in partnership with saintsarchive.com and saintsworld.co.uk and sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk where not forgetting you can get 10% off all hot tubs chemicals and accessories if you mention this podcast in store which sounds perfect as we enter those cold dark lonely winter months it's TSP 87 I'd really love a hot tub, but I don't know where to start. How easy is the process? It's as easy as one, two, three. Who are you? I'm the man who puts happy people in hot tubs. One, choose your hot tub at Happy Hot Tubs. Two, choose your accessories. And three, choose how you want to pay. With 0% finance available on selected tubs, we even accept American Express. You deserve happy. And at Happy Hot Tubs, it's as easy as one, two, three. Happyhottubs.co.uk Saints started October with a poor 4-1 defeat at home to Chelsea, who've had almost as much success at St Mary's over the years as I think we have. But uh, Adam, a bright start, no goal, a mistake, opposition take the lead and things don't get any better from there. A bad day at the office. Yeah, really terrible, actually, to be honest, really terrible. Um, just while you were talking there, I was thinking that people, you're right, people don't like it too much if we're too negative. So mm. I'm gonna, I am going to try and come up with some positives for the day before Good. then we get into the negatives um a carvery or something like that oh, yeah roast roast for lunch was really nice actually it was good. really good got one already one um, positive no negatives the grass was really green that Two, was nice the sun nil. was out that <laughs> three was good nil. oh we're racking them um <laughs> everybody the... scored a goal we scored a goal that's good go. yeah oh. but that that wasn't that positive because ralph was asked about that afterwards ralph was asked if if danny ying scoring a goal was a positive because he's on good form, and he just went, if you like. Oh, but he, <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, if, if he could, and then just I basically went on. Well, he went yes. on to say that basically that Danny Ng should have scored more than one goal. So in fact, it wasn't that positive. So yeah. if he couldn't find a positive in that, then I, I'm not going to try. So well, I've you, done between I've us. Done we found three. four, so we're not doing too bad. Four, so right, four, okay, a bad um, day at the office. Yes, and now on to everything else. And if you don't like a bit of negativity, I suggest Switch that off now. your pod yes. ends here. Um, or at least you fast forward. Yeah, I was going to say, skip into the Anti Niemi interview because he's good. Um, yeah, so any, it was it was awful. It was awful. And um, yeah, I think what's concerning, actually, and I think it's concerning Ralph as well from the way he spoke, is, is, uh, is a, it's easy to say a bad day at the office. 
And if it was just the feeling that it was just a bad day at the office, then I think you would just write it off and go, well, Chelsea are really good. So, you know, they're in good form, bad time to play them, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that there is now a nagging doubt that this is more than just a bad day at the office. Mm. And that's the problem here. It's not that it's a one off game. It's it's that actually there's a bit of a trend developing now. Um, and when you actually look at, at what's happened, really, if you try and just it's hard this soon after the game's finished, but try and step back a little bit and look at a bit of context. And you see basically the team that are now playing again under Ralph all right Gineppo's injured but are basically more or less the same team that was playing under Pellegrino and Hughes Mm. Um, there's kind of been a regression there to a certain extent back to those players Ralph's tried a lot of different things it obviously decision is it hasn't worked and so now we're back to the same players that, that largely more or less were playing in in those teams only with the addition of the quality of Ings which Pellegrino didn't have the benefit of so um then you go okay well what's the problem well lots of individual errors are Mm -hmm. a big problem well the same players have been making those errors for a long time so do we expect that ralph is a miracle worker and can do something with this team that the other managers can't well it doesn't look like he can because um and, and i don't blame him for that but that was The Chelsea game, and a lot of people were saying it in the press box around me, was very reminiscent of a kind of performance and result that really wouldn't have looked out of place if Mark Hughes was the manager. Mm. You know, and they were struggling. They they are struggling badly at the moment. They look totally devoid of confidence, I think. Um, They look unsure. They look uncertain. And afterwards, Ralph, to a certain extent, was also which I think is fair, was also questioning the commitment as well. And when you get to that stage, trust me, haven't been around this for a long time, you've got problems and there are problems there. And these are not bad day at the office problems. This is something a bit deeper. And so Ralph has got two weeks now to try and figure this out and get to grips with it and and turn this around because this season hasn't been great from the start it's getting progressively much worse at a fairly rapid rate of knots now. And as he rightly said afterwards, you know, you look at the last four or five games, what have they done? They've been a league one team. Great. <laughs> but then they've gone back to the premier league and they've not done what they wanted to do. Yeah. yeah they played some good teams, but ultimately that, you know, every, every team in the premier league is decent. So the, it's, it's a difficult situation. He's got to figure out how he can try and, turn this around because th- this is this is starting to get worrying now I would say. Yeah and I, and I think that's the thing Lucy isn't it? We've spoken about it a lot over the pod, the soft goals, the fact that teams don't have to play particularly well to beat us because you, you know again we started okay today but then we just give away a ridiculous goal and it, it's not game over but effectively it feels like game over because you can just see the confidence drain and that's been the challenge um, you know it was a bit Sunday league defending on a Sunday afternoon and uh, as we said so many times Chelsea were okay but they weren't really out of second third gear at any point through the afternoon. No, and it was the way they sort of seemed to kind of cut through us at will. There wasn't really a lot of kind of probing required by them to kind of get through us. And I thought the way that Kante just stepped up and hit that ball for the, for the third goal. I mean, it was a wicked deflection and, and it c- could have been an easy save. But the fact was that he had basically the freedom of Southampton to hit it. Mm. Um, and I think it summed up quite a lot of our problems. Um, and, yeah, I kind of agree to a certain extent that 
this doesn't seem to be getting better, it seems to be getting worse. Mm. And I thought it was interesting today, and indeed was perhaps a criticism of the Spurs game as well, was that Hasenhutl didn't really do anything. Um, I think we spoke about earlier in the season him being a better in-game tactician than pre-game tactician. Yeah. And actually today, he more or less did like-for-like replacements, kind of kept the same shape. Um, And there was a kind of lack of intensity from most of the players in the second half, I felt, to try and kind of get back in the game. And I I appreciate it finished 4-1, but it it was 3-1 for the majority of the half. And I just felt like they kind of just thought, we're two goals goals behind, that they look really good when they attack, and I I just can't see it happening. So I I just felt like so much in the midfield was lost, Mm. and and they just looked really bereft of ideas. And previously, we've seen Hasenhutl change the system, bring on like a kind of very different player, try something, maybe Armstrong, which I don't mean has mixed success, but, you know, it is something different at least. Mm. Um, And it felt today like he just sort of thought, well... To be honest, the team are playing so badly, it doesn't really matter what I do. Mm. There are so many errors in this, I might as well just give up. And it just felt that the whole game just felt like, after we went 3-1 down, was just like, yeah, it's it's just not bother, let's just stop. I know, and and to be fair, I mean, that's the frustration, Lucy, I think, for us over the last two, three years. I mean, maybe we're just blinkered by the fact that we all support Saints and that's the club that we love, but... I don't see anyone else in the Premier League, you know, historically over the last two, three years, just ineffectively not give up, but look like they give up in so many games. I mean, we must have lost 10, 20 games over the last two, three years where it's almost like we might not have bothered turning up. And I know I sound like I'm overreacting and I'm trying to be level here. But as I say, that's just the way it appears when you watch them sometimes. I think the problem is that is that Hasenhutl, a big part of what sold so many Saints fans on him was that he seemed to be really good at getting players up for it. You know, mm. we've seen kind of the the kind of change of Ward Prowse and how he's become a much more tenacious player. A lot of other players kind of putting a lot more yards in, you know, are a lot more intense in their play. We've got seen a higher press. We've seen more off the ball. And it, the one thing you thought a Hasenhutl team would, wouldn't do would be to kind of give up and let the game fade and fizz away. Yep. And it, it seems to me that it's happening again. Likewise, the errors are coming back in again. Um, I think this has been a bit of a reality check because, mm. as Adam says, these are broadly the same players that we had last last year under Hughes, mm. um, and they were making those errors. And I think for a little while, we all got a bit wrapped up in the Hasenhutl kind of buzz and thought that maybe that was the end of the really horrific errors and we would slowly get better but but if if players have these in their locker unless they are those kind of young players the kind of Jan Valeries and mm. what well, I'm sure we'll get on to Angus Gunn but let's not go there for a minute I wasn't really going to bother um, this week yeah honest, no but... we don't um <laughs> Unless they are those kind of younger players, what's to say that those older players will stop making those errors? And and Mm. we're seeing evidence again that they are back and the business in the summer looks worse and worse Mm. if he isn't going to play them. Yeah. I don't want us to start picking out individuals, Adam, and I'm not going to pick on the goalkeeper because we've spoken enough about him the last few weeks. But, you know, and I I have to say I'm a massive, massive fan, and Lucy knows this, of Pierre-Emil Hoiberg. Um, You know, he was the heartbeat of this team last season under Ralph. You know, wore the armband. I think we were all 100% behind him, got the awards at the end of the season. Um, Obviously, there's been a bit of an odd situation around him all this season, you know, ever since that fans forum when he was obviously put under the spotlight about his contract. But... I don't know what's happened to him, Adam. And I, again, I, it's easy to pick out anyone on that side today. But for me, as the captain, he's the one that you want to see 
really drive and showing that energy and he's just he's been lackluster all season so I'm not asking you to tell us anything about his personal situation but just in terms of when you watch him on the pitch I mean where's it gone wrong with him well I think I think you're right to to in a way to point him out though I think there's a lot of other people I mean he's probably the starkest in Mm. terms of going from being the best player to being well, a, a shadow of the player that he was, the player that that kind of last year led them to survival, really, yep. um, was a huge part of that, wasn't he? He was fantastic and uh, really stepped up, took on the captain's role and now just really struggling no matter what formation, what role. It just doesn't quite suit him. He's kind of it's, it's a bit why what I'm saying is about the regression is it's a bit like that with him. He's kind of gone back to the player he was before which is kind of a guy who's got um you know some uh, ability he can he can do fairly well but does he make enough of an impact in games can he play alongside Romeo and those are all the discussions we were having on the podcast you know in the first season that we were doing the podcast about Hoiberg yep. and we thought that was gone and, and now it's back but this is what i mean as a general as a general trend at Saints that i think is is more concerning at the moment is the fact that it does feel as if things are going backwards. And that's mm. that's really, I think, Harsen Hootel's big task. I mean, we're, we're, I think the thing he's got to do is to try um, and reintroduce really some intensity and some energy. Yep. Because that was when he came in. Remember that when he came in, that first press conference, and he hit the ground running. And it was like none of this kind of what we were almost thinking was acceptable at that time, mm. which was to sort of say, you know, I'll take a look at it. We'll build, we'll, you know, we'll sort things out. He's like, no, from day one, this is what I want. Intensity, intensity, intensity on the pitch, off the pitch. And that really demanding nature really mm. drove the team to something else. And now it just doesn't feel like that's there. And you, you watch them play and you look at, you know, all the talk of the press and you look at the press and you think, it's not much of a press, is it? Mm. Let's be honest. And even he talked about that today. I mean, you know, William, I thought was fantastic for Chelsea, yeah. but as he rightly said, yeah, he's fantastic. Cause we always leave him one-on-one. That's not, a, that's not one person is not a press. Mm. And, and there's way too much of that going on. And, you know, I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Is there a bit of, is there a bit of intensity that's gone out of him? Is there a it's bit like we've of dragged him down to our level? Players? I don't I know. I think it's everyone. I, yeah. I think everyone's struggling. I, I think him, because I, I, he doesn't look the same character on the sideline in terms of his body language. Like a lot of the body language today was really negative. Mm. It was that kind of like, oh, I can't be bothered with this. And I could totally understand where he was coming from because mm. a lot of it he can't legislate for because it's individual errors and they just look ridiculous. Mm. But at the same, at the same kind of, moment i thought there were times like that last season where he wasn't kind of letting it get under his skin in the same way mm. um and i, I think guess that... eventually it does get to you though, yeah i, I it? suppose so yeah it chips away at you i guess and i think the thing is i mean i, I i'm not god i'm not trying to this sounds a bit like i, I i'm saying i know everything and I, I, please i'm not saying that but i remember asking him about very very early in his tenure kind of about the individual errors. In fact, I think it might have even been after his first game. Mm. Well, was, was that at Cardiff? It was, wasn't it? And yeah. there was a, some howler I see. Vestergaard's back pass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I remember asking him and he sort of brushed it aside. And I said to him, well, look, I said, the thing is, Ralph, the largely the same group of players have been making the individual errors for two years and the team has struggled. And, and there's been two managers before you here that have bemoaned exactly the same. Could, do you really think that just kind of a, a new manager is going to correct this if the mm. players are, are not 
able to to cut out the individual areas under successive managers surely that's a that's a clue really and and he was i wouldn't have said he was dismissive out of hand but he certainly kind of thought he would have the answer i'm wondering now if the reality is setting in that Mm. perhaps if the players just are not quite good enough and this is what i've said consistently as you know over the last few years in the day if you keep having the same players and you are as far as i'm concerned you're going to keep on getting the same sort of results ultimately and you might have a few ups and downs but your team are ultimately going to land about where they are in terms of quality most seasons and the thing is they've had two seasons with more or less the same sort of team that played today and it hasn't gone very well they've they've sort of just been scraping to avoid relegation basically um and now here they are just above the bottom three again and and this is you know who who really can be desperately surprised that it's kind of like that and i think that the the thing that ralph can do though short term what the thing he can't do is obviously he can't affect the transfer policy and Mm -hmm. ultimately that has been the major problem that we've that they've got in that the only way when you get in that situation that you improve things is that you get rid of a load of players and you get some more in uh, some different ones in easier said than done of yep. course but nonetheless you know my verdict on this transfer window was that frankly it was pretty rubbish mm. and and i still stand by that i think it looks like an increasingly poor window um and so you just you just think well you know has has he got a chance and if so what can he do about it now and i just think maybe trying to you know re-inject that intensity from him maybe is the best is the best sort of course of action that, that he can try and take right now. Yeah. Look, I was gonna ask this question, Lucy, at the start of the, the Wolves preview later on. It makes sense to ask it now. I, I seem I feel like I always ask this at every international break throughout the history of doing the podcast because we always seem to be in this position. But do you think it's come at a good time for Saints? Bearing in mind it sounds like he's gonna have them running around Staplewood pretty much all day Monday. <laughs> or do you think uh, do you think it's come at a bad time as in, you know, you want to get back out on the pitch and try and turn it around, but when you've lost three in a row in the Premier League, I think it is now, um it's a fine line between having any chance winning a game anyway yeah I, th- I think it's come at a good time i think they, they need to stop the kind of rot in a sense um he needs to work on some kind of game plan i feel like we've seen quite a lot of the 4-3-3 as i understood it mm. in the last couple of games and it's not really working i mean again we have this conversation would it would what would work with these players but i feel of all the things that have happened recently Four three three looked quite good against Pompey, but then you contextualise it and you think, yeah, that's probably because it's against a League One team. Um, and I, I think there are still massive problems from that kind of point of view. And I think, as far as we're talking about kind of changing the atmosphere and trying to kind of reinfuse it with something more positive, then perhaps an international break gives you that opportunity. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see any kind of negative to that break coming now because I. I can't see results kind of improving significantly, especially as our, our kind of our next run isn't particularly good. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think it's a welcome break, if only for the fans, really, so that we can stop worrying. <laughs> yeah, I've got that in my clothes. At least we can have a uh, couple of weeks stress free now. So yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll come to that later anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, um, I mean, the other thing I was going to ask just Lucy, um, in, in, in terms of, you know, we saw it at Spurs last week, the first goal pretty much going through Angus Gunn, Vestergaard missing the, the second goal today. Again, pretty much all four goals, very soft. So, 
as Adam said, Ralph has mentioned individual errors. He picked a gun out again this week, I think, the same as he did last week. So is it as simple as it is individual errors and that is what's costing us games? Or do you think they kind of come from an impact of the tactics and or the performances that the players are putting in, as in they're not very good performances and or they don't really know what they're doing tactically? I think it's both. I think um, there are still problems with implementing the press successfully and consistently. I think we haven't quite worked out where our triggers are for pushing the press. Um, and that means that as the game wears on, it becomes less and less organised mm. and it becomes less and less effective. And what it also means is that I think if we press too high and I think actually we were talking about Hoybier earlier, I think he's been told to go even more aggressive this season with his press onto kind of the defenders of the opposing team. And that leaves us incredibly exposed to a ball over the top. And when you've got defenders that are liable to make errors or aren't quite sure where they should be, that makes it all the more problematic. Mm. Um, And I think... So I think you have a team that will make errors. And I think at the moment, the way we've got the kind of the tactics, the press working kind of just exacerbates those errors and probably makes them more likely. I feel like a lot of Angus Gunn's problems at the moment are are his misjudgments. Mm. But he's he I think he's thinking I need to be proactive. I need to be fast off my line and I need to kind of help us get back on the front foot. Now, he is clearly making mis making errors and yeah. i think there is a good argument to change keeper yeah. but i still feel like he's probably doing that out of some kind of intent from the tactics that are being mm. implemented mm. so i think a lot of it all around the place is kind of two things working together to to really make it quite problematic yeah and adam it does feel like we're i don't want to say picking on ralph but a lot of this is because i think we were so optimistic about the season and you quite rightly tempered our uh, sort of overexcitement quite rightly and said look you know it is a tough start to the fixture list and that sort of thing alistair bush dropped a, a tweet after the game saying they're going to be a very interesting total saints pod this week ben for second game in succession ralph waits an eternity to make any changes despite us losing his decision making more baffling as each week passes um and jonesy i'll call him jonesy a mate of mine sent a uh, whatsapp through to me but said uh, a question for the pod does ralph really have the tactical awareness to ensure we stay up bizarre decisions again today jwp offered nothing obafemi not really sure what he offers gun suspect again we still create our own issues give the ball away in the wrong areas and don't track wide runners the system doesn't seem to work so i think in terms of ralph adam as we said it's not going to get any easier for him but do you almost feel like this is a pivotal moment in his Saints career where if he can get through this two weeks get them to a position where they can hit that Wolves game with some form of optimism solution and or it is going to be as I said earlier a cold dark run up to Christmas really this is a pivotal uh, moment coming up now in in Saints' season and so I suppose therefore in the short term world of football you say it's a pivotal moment coming up for Ralph as well given the start they've had and the place they're in heading into the October international break, how they fare between the October international break and the November international break is ultimately going to set the tone for the remainder of the season. Because if they can pick up a little bit and, you know, they pick up a couple of results and let's not be unrealistic about it, but let's just say they, you know, they're playing better and they get a couple of wins or, you know, again, a couple of good performances and confidence starts to return, then there's every chance that they will do exactly what we thought they would do which is finish probably somewhere mid-table probably slightly lower mid-table um that looks perfectly feasible from where they are now no reason to think that's not possible it's not an exciting season it still means that you know as a fan you'll watch your team lose the majority of games they play 
and they'll win <laughs> and they won't win that many but that's the welcome to the premier league basically <laughs> yeah. and that's that's probably where saints are, are, are likely to land if they can do that the the concern is if poor form poor results continues into the november international break mm. then you are really on the back foot then and you really need to, uh, you know, then an amazing run when the fixtures, you know, become thick and fast to, to kind of stop yourself basically being in another relegation battle. Yep. Um, it's too early, I think, to worry too much about the table still, but we're kind of getting to the point now where you can begin to pay attention. And I definitely think by the time you hit 10 games, you start to look at it. Mm. And definitely by the time that November international break comes around, you're at that point, you're kind of... You're you're in a you've played enough games then that you're more or less your your die is cast for the season yep. as to kind of the limits on what you can achieve really at that point and not to say you can't turn it around and have a good you know run and and kind of get out of trouble if you're in trouble or likewise if you're doing all right and you're bubbling around in mid table you can't slump and and suddenly be in a relegation fight but most teams have a relatively good idea then kind of what they're playing for and what their season's going to look like. And so Saints are right on the cusp now, I would say, when you look at where they are now. In the, a good a little run of form, doesn't have to be dramatic, but just a little good run of form. And, you know, things are looking up. If it keeps going badly, then it looks like another relegation fight. And that mm. is going to be another long, dark winter <laughs> at yeah. St Mary's, isn't it? And yeah. I think that's what we're all hoping isn't going to be the case and and so this is a, i think this is important and and also bear in mind that ralph has been when you say about individually for ralph ralph has kind of been viewed i i think in some ways a bit i would say like i've said all along kind of a bit wrongly in that that yes he looks like he's got potential but you know, he came in and it was a very short period of time where realistically, whether he turned it around and it was great that he did and it was fantastic and he did a great job. But I don't think for me that that was ever going to mean that this was going to be some huge upward curve and mm. the, like all the bad days are behind us now just because of this one guy. And I think that's what we're we're seeing now. So I think for him, we're kind of at this period now where weirdly, I feel like you know, one or two of us have been kind of questioning him even when things were going well and getting yep. accused of being negative about about Ralph. But I, I think just being fair. And now there's suddenly this sort of shift in mood. And there's some people that are almost, you know, I don't think we're far away from some people calling for his head, which is ludicrous in my view as well. Yep. Um, but this is kind of how it goes for a manager in some ways. But as soon as you start getting those sort of slight negative doubts and negative reactions things can snowball quickly if you're not careful so that for me this next little period of games it's only a short run but i think this is going to be really important in the context of the season and therefore in the context for ralph yeah i keep being reminded i was reminded when i was doing my notes adam of uh, right at the start of the season we were talking about the fixture list and you said you wouldn't want to go into that second international break with around eight points from eight games something like that we haven't even managed to achieve that so that's not a particularly good thing yeah we should <laughs> I've, run, I've run out of budget now but uh, we'll come to that later but uh, lucy look final thing i think i saw a tweet from uh, 
Adam Blackmore earlier saying that Saints have won 15 of their last 61 games at St Mary's. Um, for me, you know, and we'll talk about it ahead of the Wolves game. You know, Saints have done okay in 2019 away from home, but it's the home form that is what is dragging us down to that end of the table. And I mean, there was a lack of atmosphere today. You can understand that when uh, you play so poorly. But all that sort of good feel that we had around the turn of Christmas and the start of the new year at St Mary's seems to have drained away, and it's now again becoming a bit of a burden. It seems for the team to play there. Yeah, and I think it it's all part of what we were just talking about in the sense that, you know, everything's a little bit lacking intensity, lacking energy, manager doesn't look quite right, team doesn't look quite right. And when that happens or, it you know, it's all kind of causal, then also the fans aren't into it that much. It, it, it kind of it will it will snowball on you because the atmosphere contributes to the intensity, which contributes to the atmosphere, you know, so on so i think yeah i think people are getting a little bit fed up um i think also um ralph's style of football as it's kind of been shown depending on tactic tends to be more direct tends to be lack you don't tend to have that much possession and and when it's at its best it's kind of you know counter-attack oriented and i think that also works better when you're away from home because you do expect to have less of the ball and um that kind of that kind of stylistic kind of point means that you do tend to be tend to look a bit better away from home. But yeah, yeah, I think that is becoming a problem. And again, probably is, as we were saying, good for the international break. Everyone gets a little bit of a break. Everyone gets to kind of cool down a bit. I've cooled down a bit. Yeah. I feel like a lot of, I've seen a lot of stuff today, you know, Ralph out, all this stuff. It it strikes me as madness. I think what's happened is people have realized that Ralph Hasenhoodle is a human um he's not a god um and he could get that on a t-shirt as well really couldn't yeah you? well that's what i mean i think i think people just need to be a bit more level-headed and a bit yes. more balanced in their expectations just in the sense that as we've said he's working with the same group of players more or less um as, as mark hughes he is not going to suddenly propel us into europe which mm. i felt like some people were expecting at the beginning of the season which was again a bit mad um and, and i think people got so kind of carried away with the positivity which is great by the way and i and i love positivity at the football club but i feel like that inflated expectations to the point now where a few bad results which i admit could turn into something a bit more ugly if if we don't stop the rot i feel like a few bad results has kind of deflated things quickly um (laughs) and, and i think people need to just kind of think about what what would be a good season and I still think that lower mid-table season would would be fine I, I mean yep. I, I'm excited by the idea of not worrying about relegation um, <laughs> that would be great um, and I think that I don't think that's out of the realms of possibility mm. um, much like Adam said and I you know coming back to that question about Ralph you know whether he knows what he's doing tactically there are plenty of managers in this league that I would say were worse tactically than Ralph Hasenhutl. What he hasn't quite got at the moment is is kind of his his blueprint, his plan, mm. uh, and I expected that to come together much quicker than it has. But I still don't think we're at a panic stations situation here where we should be worrying about the status of the manager. 
Yeah, no, agreed. Well, I must admit, Glenn's just messaged me with a, a message, direct message, saying this is my first draft at the uh, match day blog. Uh, it's taken me four words to get to a swear word, so it's not looking good if you're uh, looking out for Glenn's <laughs> blog. So uh, there we go. But uh, look, before we finish this bit, uh, I just wanted to say a big thanks to Barry Webb and uh, Leon Burton for producing the Saints Archive TSP Jim McCallie or the memory box section in the Chelsea match day program today. Obviously, we're very proud to have it in there. Uh, you know, with a, a good transcript of the interview that we did with uh, Jim in episode six if you wanted to uh, listen back to it so I hope it was enjoyable reading for anyone that hadn't seen it before but uh, look let's uh, let's try and liven up the pod a little bit right now it's time for Total Recall Bobby Stokes hit well oh he's there Stokes has put Southampton in the lead a great break there for Southampton and they're all on that Southampton bench Pinti out to this near flank what a back cross back to play. Here's Letizia! Who better to say farewell? Welcome to our first Total Recall of the new season. Alongside me, continuing our great partnership from last season, is Will Dorr, owner of SaintsArchive.com. Also at the other end of the telephone is former Saint and Finland international goalkeeper, Antti Niemi. As I'm sure you'll remember, Antti played over 100 games for Saints between 2002 and 2006. Antti, thanks so much for joining Will and myself for this Total Recall. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, on the 27th of August 2002, Gordon Strachan paid around £2 million to sign you from uh, Heart of Midlothian in Edinburgh. To kick us off, Auntie, I just wondered if you could tell us a bit about what you remember about the move and how it all came about. I remember I had a phone call from Craig Levine, who was uh, Heart's manager at the time. I uh, was actually in the international duty mm-hmm. um, in Helsinki. I was in the hotel and I had a phone call from, from the manager saying that uh, um, Southampton has made a bid. And uh, the board has accepted it, and uh, it's up to you what do you want to do. So, uh, obviously, things went from there and uh, became uh, a Saints player. Obviously, I, uh, I played with the Glasgow Rangers previously. I only played 20-odd uh, games, and I remember Dick Advocat, who was the manager, he told me that uh, you need to go somewhere else because you're not going to play here. And I went to Hearts, which proved to be a, a really clever move at the time because I was playing every single week. And I would like to think that I did well. So, uh, obviously, and also playing for Finland, that helped my course. And uh, then I got to move to the Premier League. And uh, looking back, it was absolutely fantastic time for me. Yeah. Were, were you always sort of keen on playing in the Premier League anyway? Or was it just the right move to the right league at the right time? Uh, obviously, Premier League was, you know, it was and still is maybe the, the biggest league in the world. Yeah. And... Uh, as a, as a professional athlete, you want to test yourself at the highest level as possible. But I was already, I, I think I was 29 or 30 when that happened. So I was playing in, you know, I started my career in Finland. I went to Denmark, uh, then to Scotland. So I don't want to say that I, I thought that my chance was gone. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was always this, you know, glimmer of hope that, you know, maybe one day somebody will try and get me. And uh, I got my chance, the grand A of you know, age of 30, which is uh, quite old, to be honest. And uh, I was hoping, but I, was, I wasn't I was sure that it's definitely going to happen one day. Um, what about Gordon Strachan? He's known as a fiery character most of the places. Mm. So what was it like playing for him? And had you crossed paths before in Scotland? Uh, 
the story is actually that before I went to Glasgow Rangers, he tried to sign me uh, when he was a manager of Coventry. And uh, I don't know right or wrong, but uh, I made a decision to join uh, Glasgow Rangers, which, which was uh, and still is a massive club. Yeah. And uh, I think after that, he kept, you know, an eye on me and how I was doing and things went from there. But uh, your question about Gordon Strachan, I, I just have to say that I've said it before, but I absolutely love the man. He's not physically the biggest guy, but he's character and he's aura about him and he's a real leader. You know, there's people like Gordon Strachan that when you meet him, you realize that he's got something special. And, you know, I played my best football under him and a lot of players did. And, uh, you know, it was good times for the club before Gordon, you know, I think Southampton was, you know, struggling a little bit. Mm. By struggling, I mean that, you know, playing against the relegation pretty much every year yep. and uh, when Strachan came in you know the, we finished I think it was 8th and 12th which was in my opinion very uh, decent result in a very competitive league and uh, when he left we all know what happened One of our listeners uh, Jamie Pragnall was asked via Twitter uh, if you had any problems understanding Gordon's rather strong Scottish accent You <laughs> 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 know when I saw in Southampton you know I spent already 5 or 6 years in Scotland so I, I understood. I understood him pretty well. Not fluent. <laughs> I know you know Scottish accent is pretty strong. Depends where you're from, but uh, I, I, no problems there. I, I remember when I moved to Glasgow in the first place. It took me months to realize what people are talking. <laughs> I, I thought I thought at the time that my English is decent, <laughs> so I should be okay. But you know, it was a bit of a shock. But can good. <laughs> um, and for me, Antti, I mean, I, I tell people this all the time. If I ever pick my best Saints eleven, having followed Saints for 30 years, you're always my uh, my goalkeeper. I mean, you, you're definitely the best goalkeeper I've seen in my 30 years watching Saints. Some of the saves you made were incredible. Oh, um, okay. No, no, well, no, I, I, I do. But uh, I mean, how, how did you find the step South, up? And... Southampton has had some good goalkeepers. Well, they have, they there, have. Yeah. But you're the best I've seen. I promise. But I mean, how, how did you find the step up in quality from the the Scottish Premiership to playing in the Premier League? I mean, was it instantly more difficult and, and higher quality, or did you? have to work on quite a lot of more things in training down at Staplewood than you had before, you know, reflexes or something like that? Yeah, somebody asked me about it when I moved to Premier League and uh, I remember answering and I still think the same. I think in, in a certain way, and this sounds probably a little bit odd, but um, I found it a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that you know, the players were trying to do right things. You know, your defenders was doing you know, right things and the, the opponent was doing the right things. So for me, it was slightly easier to read the game, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because in Scotland, it, you know, the, the standard of football is better than people think. But, you know, at the time, it was, you know, the standard was lower. So the players weren't as good as people like Thierry Henry or Alan Sierra or Ronaldo. Yeah. You know, it's quite obvious. But uh, for me, obviously, when, when the strikers got the chance, they normally hit the target and uh, they shoot quicker and live with more power and reading the game and trying to anticipate what's going to happen next. I found that a little bit easier. It might sound funny, but that's the way it is. Um, obviously, in the time that you spent with the Saints, is there any particular game or games that you remember uh, with a smile on your face? Uh, well, thankfully, <laughs> quite a few. Obviously, the, the obvious one is the cup final, even if lost against brilliant Arsenal. They were a real force at the time, but we gave them a game and, and we did well. So the whole event was massive and, uh, you know, something to, to look back to. But, uh, oh, 
well, for example, we played against Liverpool and we beat them 2-0 at home. And you saved the we, penalty, Auntie. Yeah, from Michael Owen. Yeah, I remember that because I never, I never really made any any saves from the penalties, but I managed to do that. So we went one nil ahead, and then they really they created quite a few chances, and I personally had a good game. And then we beat them two nil. Uh, that was one. Uh, funnily enough, Liverpool away at Boxing Day, we beat them two one. That was something uh, special, especially because I was playing against my good friend Sami Hupia, who was you know the centre half for Liverpool at the time. Yeah, there's quite a few, but you know, for me, Liverpool, you know, when I was a little kid, uh, I, you know, Liverpool was a big thing, the late 70s, early 80s. So I wouldn't call myself a fan, but if I had to pick one team when I was a kid that I was following, it was maybe, maybe Liverpool. So all the, all the games and good results against them, for for some reasons, they uh, they stick out. As you've mentioned, uh, obviously you played in that 2003 FA Cup final, uh, and unfortunately, after an hour or so, due to injury, you had to be substituted. Um, despite yeah. that disappointment and um, having to be substituted, what do you remember of the the occasion, the, the day itself, and the, the yellow wall that seemed to be cheering you on? Yes, I remember everything about it. You know, when you play, you know, hundreds of games, there, there tends to be games that you can't remember. But uh, that was definitely the whole week building up to the cup final taking the, the team photos with the new suits and, and the press conferences where you have like literally hundreds of microphones from all parts of the world and mm. and then going into the stadium. Uh, I remember it was a Millennium Stadium and, you know, walking into a warm-up and it was like full of fans and our fans and I, I was just smiling. I, you know, I wasn't nervous at all. I was just smiling that, you know, Auntie, you does really well. You're playing in the cup final. So it was really exciting and, and brilliant at the same time and yeah unfortunately I, I got substituted after 60 whatever minutes but you know the situation was that I was going into a surgery after that game mm. uh, we knew that and uh, you know I had a anesthetic or something like you know numb the, the, the pain and uh, our doctor said that if this wasn't a cup final I wouldn't allow you to play so I just remember saying that <laughs> you're not going to stop me. <laughs> just do anything you can to, you know, but obviously it backfired a little bit because, you know, I got the injury on my calf, but uh, great experience anyway, so yeah. I wouldn't change it. Before we get on to a couple of the other sort of final listener questions then, Auntie, uh, I always seem to think of two moments when I, I think of you. The the wonderful triple save against Patrick Vieira in the 3-2 win at St Mary's, which we'll come on to. Um, I also remember being at Loftus Road when we drew 2 all with uh, Fulham and uh, Michael Svensson scored an injury time equaliser, which was assisted I remember that. Yeah, by, by you hitting the corner of the uh, angle of the crossbar and post. So I just wonder whether that was the closest you ever came to scoring. And I remember you chesting it down and volleying it and probably disappointed it didn't go in, eh? Yes, very much so. Um, uh, that would have been brilliant because literally if the ball went, I would say, inch and a half lower, yeah. that would have been in. <laughs> so it was really close, but uh, luckily Chile got, uh, you know, put it in. But uh, I remember that situation because uh, I went up for a corner. That's right. And I think it was James Beatty or someone trying to hit a rebound and he hit one of their players and the ball just went high in the air. And I remember because I was on the on the I think left side on the on, right. on yeah. the goal, yeah. and I was nobody was marking me because obviously everybody thought that he can't do anything with the ball anyway, so leave him. And uh, it took ages because I I realized that the ball is gonna land on my chest. Yeah, what the heck am I gonna <laughs> do with it? And I remember thinking, just your first touch, your first touch. Make make sure that you take decent first touch because otherwise you're gonna look like a real idiot. 
and I, and I just did it, managed to hit a decent volley, and then, you know, we scored from that, so <laughs> absolutely brilliant memory. Obviously, with the, the host of many Saints players that you've played with throughout your career, at your time at St Mary's, who would you consider to be one of the best players you've played with at Saints, and uh, who was your hardest opponent? I think when I joined the club, uh, we had a really good, you know, Scandinavian connection. You know, me being in goals, and then uh, Klaus and uh, Michael as a centre halves. I think it worked really well because Klaus was really good on the ball. Uh, Michael Svensson was a real fighter, a real lion, a leader. They were winning balls in the air because going for crosses wasn't really my thing. <laughs> I yeah, think yeah. not being the biggest of the goalkeepers, I was like relying on my reflexes and shot stopping. But uh, I think that those two centre halves, for some reason, it worked really well. We got some good results over the year. And then the obvious ones, uh, Wayne Bridge, a mm-hmm. wonderful left back, great left foot. Um, James Beattie, nobody forgets that season when he scored, I think it was 23 goals at least mm. in one season. Um, who else? Chris Marsden, Football know. Genius, Anti. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Chris <laughs> Marsden, obviously, <laughs> the bald eagle. He was, uh, he was something, and a great character as well. Because obviously the, the fans, they see what happens on the pitch. Mm. When you're talking about team sports, you don't really understand what it takes to be a good team and to be successful. So someone like Chris Marsden and uh, Jason Dodd, they were like really valuable players in the squad because, they, first of all, they were really good footballers. But any team needs uh, you know leaders in a dressing room. And yeah. for example, those two players, they were really important for us for, for many reasons yeah as Will just sort of asked Auntie, who did you find the most difficult I mean you mentioned Thierry and uh, Cristiano and players like that so who was the one that always caused you a bit of trouble uh, again some obvious names like uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, Wayne Rooney because they shoot so hard and quickly you can't really anticipate anything they are quality players but I if I have to say that someone like Alan Shearer Ruth van Nistelrooy yeah. they were tough guys they were, how should I say it, mean, mm-hmm. you know, one-on-ones and crosses and all that. They were really, you know, they wouldn't mind um, a bit of contact. And me being not the biggest goalkeeper, they obviously <laughs> kind of knew that, uh, you know, there's my chance. I have to go and I don't have to be afraid. The goalkeeper is not like six yeah. foot four and full of muscle. <laughs> uh, so that, for me personally, those type of players like Sierra and Van Nistelrooy and many others, like the big physical number nines, they were a bit of a challenge for me. Yeah. Right, on to some further questions from uh, Total Saints podcast and Saints archive followers then. Uh, William Portis, auntie, emailed a question to uh, our uh, email address and said, Auntie, I loved watching you play for Saints. Which manager, after you left Saints, would you most have liked to have worked under and why? So, for example, Adkins or Pochettino or Ronald Koeman. So, I don't know if you keep in touch with Saints much, auntie, but if you do, which manager do you think you might have thrived under a bit like you did with Gordon? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> It's been a while, and like I said earlier in this podcast, that uh, for me, Gordon Strachan is the one. Mm. You know, he's uh, I just I just love the guy. So because it, it, I think that it's a bit of a difficult one to answer because I I never worked with you know anybody else. Yeah. You know the, those names you just mentioned, so I I couldn't know. So I, I think it would be a little bit unfair to say. Yeah, all right, yeah. that's fine. And uh, look, William also asked he asked what you're up to these days. So as I understand it, Auntie, and I may be wrong, it's a a bit of coaching the Finnish national team goalkeepers, a bit of media work, and uh, from what I can work out, lots of fishing, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that, that pretty much sums it up. Uh, yeah, I I was uh, I was for three years. I was uh, head of goalkeeping for Finnish FA, so I was in charge for the the senior national team, you know, goalkeeping coach. 
and also doing the goalkeeping culture education. Yep. Uh, nowadays, it's uh, mainly for the senior national team and also with the younger ones. For example, yesterday I had a camp with zero uh, five born boys, the, the southern regional team. So, you know, it's a lot of work with football still and gladly so. Uh, and outside from football, yeah, a lot of fishing. Uh, we have a band. I mean, I'm a bass player nowadays. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Not very good, but living, but living my, you know, dream with the national team doctor and the master. We have a little bit of a fun with the instruments. So, uh, yeah. that sort of stuff. No, good. And just briefly before Will jumps in, um, in terms of the Finnish national team and qualification for the current tournament, how, how do you think things are going? I know you've got Italy in your group, haven't you? Yes, it's been uh, the last couple of years been really good. Uh, we actually we get together on Monday and we we go to Bosnia mm-hmm. and then we have a home game against Armenia. And uh, so far in this group we have lost two games and they were both against Italy. Otherwise we are second in the group and uh, it's looking really good at the moment. So we have a couple of home games that we're hoping to get some results. So uh, we are really excited and the whole Finland is buzzing at the moment yeah. because we really have a we have a real chance to qualify this time, and uh, I would like to think so that uh, that we're going to do it. Yeah, as Ben mentioned earlier, obviously it's back onto the Patrick Vieira triple save versus Arsenal at St Mary's. Um, Paul Shears via the Saints Archive group on Facebook has asked, what does Anthony remember about the triple save from Vieira, which I consider to be the best bit of goalkeeping the world has ever seen? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, I remember it. Uh, do you think it was your best se- sort of saves when you were at Saints, Auntie, or do you think there was other ones that you remember in terms of great saves? Well, all the saves are a little bit different. So if you're not really into goalkeeping, you haven't played any goals, or you don't understand goalkeeping, um, I threw this with a lot of like uh, punters and coaches that uh, the most spectacular ones are not necessarily the most difficult ones to make. Mm-hmm. I made some more difficult ones during my time with the Saints. But I remember the the, the Vieira thing. Uh, he was one-on-one with me. Not a great finish. I managed to block it. <laughs> the ball went up in the air. And I pushed, I think Michael Spencer, I spoke with him after the game. He said that I was going to hit it. But I felt the push on my back. So why did you do it? I said, I couldn't even see who was there. I just <laughs> wanted to get some room for myself. So another shot again straight at me and a third shot straight at me so yeah decent reactions but let's be honest he really should have scored at least second or third time so mm, I remember it yeah that was the Delgado game I remember that was one of his uh, his only goal for Southampton wasn't it Delgado but uh, there we go so uh, look, I mean before we finish up then Ante, um I know we covered this off before the interview just so that everyone knows we're not pressuring you to answer this question but uh, I obviously have to ask and I'm sure you're asked about it all the time about possibly the, the greatest piece of footballing radio that's ever been heard uh, it was of course the, the Hearts fan ringing into TalkSport many years ago to complain about why Craig Brown hadn't been picking you for the uh, Scotland squad I'm wondering, you know, about Craig Brown's selection for the Scotland squad. Yep. Um, you must know that Hearts have got a good team. We get Colin Cameron in the squad, mm-hmm. Stephen Presley. Yep. I just don't know why for at least three seasons he's been ignoring Anthony Nemi. Anthony Nemi? Aye. I don't know why he doesn't get a game. <laughs> for Scotland? Aye. He's from Finland? He's what? He's Finnish, isn't he? He's not finished. He's only 28. No, not finished. He's from Finland. What do you mean? That's where it, he, his nationality is f- Finnish. He's from Finland. He's not Scottish? No. Oh, I thought he was Scottish. 
a brilliant moment, I think, from someone clearly passionate about you and your goalkeeping abilities. So <laughs> I'm sure you're asked about it all the time, Auntie. But uh, what was your reaction when you first heard it? I mean, I, I know we were talking before and you said it was meant to be a bit of a joke, actually, was it? Or Yeah, I didn't meet the guy who made the phone call. I met his friend in, in Edinburgh last Christmas and he actually made a phone call to his friend and I spoke to the guy who made the phone call. So he just explained that uh, he made it as a joke. I, when I first heard it, I, I knew that, come on, <laughs> you, you can't be serious. There must be something into it. And, you know, some people took it seriously. Some people realized that it's just a wind-up. But uh, it's funny, and I still get it. Every time it comes up, wherever, you know, on Twitter or yeah. somewhere, I get so many messages on my, you know, on WhatsApp and whatever. I get phone calls from in, in Finland from my like colleagues and friends. And, you know, like, have you heard about it? Like, you know, I said, yes. I've heard about it 10 years, <laughs> 5,000 times. Uh, no, it was funny. It was funny. Let's, let's put it that way. Look, Auntie, I mean, thanks so much for, for joining Will and myself on uh, this edition of Total Recall. All of our best wishes to you and the Finnish national team. And, you know, thanks very much for being such a, a brilliant saint for all those years. Okay, thank you. My pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Cheers. Bye-bye. A big thanks again to Anti for coming on to Total Recall and of course to Will for uh, always acting as a uh, fantastic chaperone. Right, it's t-shirt giveaway time. If you didn't hear Glenda Lacour, the fantastic Glenda Lacour's clip on TSP85, here's a reminder of his prediction of what would happen down at Fratton Park. Anyone who thinks we're going to go down there and win 4-0 or something is completely deluded. Glenn's been a great sport through all of this, and it is just a bit of fun, but we are going to give away a T-shirt. We've got some printed. I have uh, one ready to go in the post to Glenn himself. I have one ready in the post to go to Mark Sanderson, who wrote the uh, Bobby Stokes book, for those that uh, know, because uh, it was Sandy's idea to get it put on a T-shirt. So, as I say, it's all a bit of fun, and we are going to give uh, away one to our TSP patron. Obviously, it's a fantastic bit of South Coast Derby memorabilia, a souvenir for life. I, I, as I said to Glenn, I'm sure he'll be getting it framed and uh, putting up on his wall. Adam, you've got your incredibly uh, famous random number generator with you i believe is that correct it's ready to go it's poised for action yeah great all right i've got a list of the patrons here so we have 40 patrons currently uh, lined up supporting us so i promise this is all being done very fairly uh, throughout the uh, interweb but uh, adam if you want to uh, generate a number and i will count down the list in a very highly technical manner and we'll see who's won the t-shirt here we go ready I feel like we need a drum roll. 33. Oh, good. You would pick you might a number. want to start at the bottom and count up. Right. By the time I edit it, uh, that uh, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll scroll down to the bottom right. Say, 40, 39, 38, 37, 37, 37, 37, 37, 37, 37, 37, 37, 37, 37, 37, 37, 37, 37, 37, Next up for Saints after the international break is a tough-looking trip to Molyneux to play Wolves. Um, Lucy, I have to be honest, when I did my notes... 
pre-Manchester City, I wrote down that Wolves would be heading into this game with one win this season in the Premier League. So, of course, that's now going to be two wins, having just beat the champions, which makes it look even more difficult for us. Yes, yes, that has taken an unexpected turn. Mm. Um, I think they've really struggled with Europa League, which applies to pretty much every kind of non-top six team, six team which qualifies for the Europa League, I have to say. Yes. Um, I won't get into that rant right now um but yeah they're, they're clearly struggling with that they don't have a particularly big squad um and that's kind of been a part of their problem i think quite a kind of fatigued squad at times mm. um but clearly if you can beat the champions you're probably not too bad at football no um and i'm not pe- feeling particularly positive right now I don't think any of us are. I think we just want to cry, don't we? But uh, look, I mean, as, as as I said, ads, we have uh, we performed okay away from home this season. I know, as you said, Sheffield United, we could have been beaten, as in on a another day if they'd taken their chances, and Brighton was a bit topsy turvy. But I guess, as we said earlier, that uh, the international break may come at the right time for us. Maybe having just won in Besiktas, then having beaten Man City, potentially it comes at the wrong time for Wolves. I'm really looking for positives again. Well, I think that's the hope. I mean, you've got, you, yeah, I mean, you can, you, I, I would agree. You don't, you want to go, you want to break generally. I know there's this thing of, oh, you just want another game. And sometimes if you've done badly, and that is true sometimes, but I think given where Saints are right now, the break is, I completely agree, is at a kind time. Mm. And I think for Wolves, having struggled and now suddenly hit a bit of form, you don't want two weeks off, do you? Kicking your heels. So, yep. um, yeah, I, in that respect, the break works better for Saints than for them. I also agree that the way things are at the moment, you probably fancy Saints away from home more than you do at home. Mm. So, so that's you know that's you know if we're looking for positives, there are a couple there. But Good. ultimately, the thing is, Saints have just got to play an awful lot better. And I mean, there's no two ways about that, really. I think. Um, I get some of the criticism of Ralph, you know, not changing things up as much, but obviously we've spent quite a lot of time criticizing him in the, or he has been criticized quite a lot in the past for changing things too much. And maybe I don't necessarily think that bringing a bit of stability to the whole affair isn't, is necessarily going to be a bad thing for Saints, but really they've, they've got to have to play an awful lot better. You know, Lucy, there's not much more to add. She completely summed up my thoughts on Wolves mm. as well, really. And so it's going to be, um, another difficult day because I think Saints will feel a bit of pressure but at least away from home they're probably going to feel a little less pressure than if they're playing at St Mary's and so yeah I mean there's they're going to have to play a lot better but if they can there's reasons to be optimistic yeah and and from a Wolves point of view Lucy um, obviously it's been a bit of a whirlwind sort of 18 months for them because of course they only got promoted back to the Premier League last year they then did uh, you know really really good season got into Europe they're obviously doing okay again this season now as, as you said it's t- been a bit of a slow start but I, I guess as a club like Saints and uh, Adam spoke a lot about this last year about looking for clubs up the league that you'd want to try and reciprocate they are kind of in the position that we'd want to be in where you've got a decent squad playing good football uh, you, you know you're picking up points at home you're in Europe and all those sort of things so a bit like us a few years ago yeah that they they are a really good well-run club that seems to be doing a lot of the right things I think particularly in terms of their recruitment I think there are questions about how that's done um, but I think in terms of selecting talent and, and working that into a particular system they have a very clear identity in, in way, the way they play with their three centre-backs you know good in wide areas particularly from the wing backs um, they, they, they clearly know what they're doing and they clearly have a good kind of plan about how that's going to be executed mm. um, I think 
the Europa League qualification was always going to be an issue for them because, as I said, they do have a small squad. They had a staggeringly small number of injuries last season. I I think it was, you know, less than five or something like that. Um, And and so that meant that they could manage on quite a small squad. And that has been a challenge despite reinforcements this season. Mm. Um, But I think, yeah, in terms of of teams you'd like to replicate, I think Wolves are very high up there. but I think that they have also been quite shrewd about knowing when to invest. And, yep. I, and until we see that kind of investment at Saints, I think the idea of ever replicating a, a team like Wolves um, seems quite far off. Um, the only thing I will say mm. is that last season they were quite uh, wasteful when it came to playing teams below them. Yep. Um, and actually they were very good at getting kind of performances against the top six and and getting results that way as we saw today um so that kind of would give me a little bit more hope that perhaps the intensity isn't quite there that they aren't aren't up for it and they think that perhaps saints are an easy win and and we get something that way um but yeah i think they're a long way from what we can expect to be um in the in the short term certainly yeah well more for them because they were the last team to lose at st mary's so they must be rubbish so uh, there we go but uh, (laughs) (laughs) um and and even more positives adam because fingers crossed hopefully we've got two weeks to get cedric Gineppo players like that fit yeah, I'm I'm a little concerned with Gineppo at the moment. I mean, we'll wait and see what the verdict is after the, the couple of weeks. But I, I, there seems to be just that feeling from what Ralph's saying that maybe his problem is a little bit more serious than they'd first hoped. And, mm. and that would be a blow. Yep. Um, all right, he's not played much, but he's he looks like somebody who is going to add quality that was, some, you know, from a summer signing. And. Um, definitely adds an extra dimension to their play that they don't really have when when he's not available. So fingers crossed, um, he he does come back. I mean, it's a very odd injury from what Ralph is sort of describing that basically he can do everything other than shoot, and it's yeah. when he shoots that he gets gets problems, and and that um, they're kind of having to hold him back really because he wants to just keep playing. Um, so. Yeah, fingers crossed he, he gets ready and, and Cedric too and, and they've got a full squad to pick from because I think that they Ralph kind of needs all the options and all the, the highest quality options that he, he can at the moment. Mm. Um I think that yeah, it would be very, very helpful for them if they could get Gineppo back out on the pitch as soon as possible. Right, we're going to rattle through to uh, some predictions then. I got Mr. Grant, so to be fair to him, uh, it was pre-Chelsea, but he went for a frustrating 1-0 loss at Wolves. Um, I'm going to be as pessimistic as ever. I'm, oh, I just think we're rubbish, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go for 3-0 Wolves, which is oh, really bad. Oh, so yeah, I'm, whoa, I'm not confident. Because you had 3-1 Chelsea, didn't I did, you? and, because I, I thought when that goal went in, I was like, oh, somebody's going to be really annoyed. I there. know, I was like, <laughs> today couldn't get any worse, Adam, and then they give that away in the 89th minute and cost me two points. So yeah, so uh, I did have three one, but unfortunately it was four one. So yeah, I'm going to go three 0 walls, which I know kind of sums up a pessimistic uh, podcast. And if you still listen, then I apologise. But I mean, yeah, I just I'm not overly confident about where we're heading at the moment. But uh, let's go, ladies first. So Lucy, let's go with you. <laughs> that was a very deep sigh, following on from your not being confident comment a minute ago. Yeah, um, I'm going to go. A 2-1 loss. 2-1 loss. But I think that's me trying to be positive, worryingly. You said it in a positive tone. So yeah, that's good. exactly. I yeah. don't think a 2-1 loss would be catastrophic. I wouldn't panic about that. So I'm going to go with that. All right, fair enough. And then uh, Mr. Leach. Right, well, I will be positive then. 1-0. <laughs> I'm going to say they're going to get something. Yeah? How about that? 
Good. How about that? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I've kind of talked myself around during the, the podcast that, that Ralph is going to kind of get a grip of this in the international oh, break and, and things are going to be a bit better. See, I said it was going to be like a counselling session. We've yeah, all come out of it the other side with positivity. Yeah. If anybody's listened to the end, then well done. And I hope you're all feeling yeah, considerably better now. Too. Well, you might get a point at Molyneux. What do you say? <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Total Saints Podcast. Thanks as always to Adam and Lucy. Uh, I'm going to let Adam go and have some tea and uh, cry in the corner or whatever he wants to do. But uh, um, also thanks to Will Dorr from Saints Arkoff for joining us on Total Recall. Finally, I have to say a massive thank you again to Antti Niemi, who uh, has been a, a really absolutely lovely bloke to deal with and uh, chat and communicate with over the last few weeks, telling me about his band and all those sort of things. So, uh, yeah, really, really good to have Antti on the pod. And hopefully that's given everyone a bit of positivity uh, alongside the Chelsea review. We're going to take a break next weekend, so we'll be back after the Wolves game ahead of the long run up to Christmas as I mentioned to Lucy earlier it's a couple of stress-free weeks for us to not have to worry about Saints hooray until then keep marching in The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.